um, and say, oh, it's an accident. We didn't mean to do that. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Let's kill a few of their people and see how they like that. Then Again, it comes down to strategic mind. nuclear exchange, ma'am, and we don't want to try to risk that. This is why, this is fundamentally why there are no, you know, NATO air assets over over Russia doing what NATO air assets have done in previous, in previous wars. Well, maybe we need to do that. I don't know. Maybe we need to do that. Maybe the end of the world is coming. Look at how the world is today. Disease, global warming. Russia can I interject like here for a second? Can I make a little point? So, so just just for context, uh, ma'am, OSINT was um, in, what was it, 3PARA, OSINT? Yeah, I served in 3PARA. Uh, I also served in special forces when I was in the UK as well. So what I will um, let you know, is it Billy? It took, yes. It took years to track down Osama bin Laden. He was eventually found in Pakistan. He wasn't yeah. even found where they thought he was going to be. It took right. years, right? And see the thing with Putin, and you said, why don't we kill him? You know, after Putin, the person who comes next is worse. And it's been said by many, many people who are very clued up on this. Who's going to be the next president after, of Russia? Listen, 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 listen. The person who comes after Putin is going to be worse than Putin. This, the person who comes after Putin would have idolized Putin, like Putin idolized Stalin, right? So we can't just go in there, all guns blazing, and start shooting people and killing them. Because what we'll end up with... Is complete, uncontrolled, total, like, just war, right? We cannot have that. It needs to be done strategically, and it needs to be done um, through... We're smart Americans. We could come up with something We can't just go into countries. I had this this conversation with somebody yesterday who who thought it was a great idea to wipe Sevastopol off off the face of the earth because then the Russians couldn't use it. Well... We cannot just go into country. We cannot start just bombing other countries and being just as bad as Russia, right? We have to remember, we have to be very civil here and we have to play by the rules. We cannot start playing by their game and, and breaking all the rules of international war and all of this, okay? We need to play, break the rules. We need to play it correctly. We play by the rules, right? And then we, I, we I have the moral that, standpoint. Sir. We have the moral standpoint and we can stand and say, we played by the rules, you did not. Now, that's how this needs to be handled. We cannot, and I, and I hate to hear, I know, I know some things go on in, in, in the world that you never hear about, but we cannot just go into countries and start unlawfully killing and bombing people just because they're doing the same thing, right? That's just well, not how, how warfare works. Genocide yeah, I know it's a genocide, Ukraine. but we cannot start going into Russia and start committing genocide there because they're doing it in Ukraine. No, that I'm is not, not how war to... works. No, I'm but we need to do to this do strategically. That. We need to do this strategically. We need to let the diplomatic channels handle it, and and that's how how it will play out. We cannot, uh, uh, we cannot just go in harsh handedly and start bombing. And other I, under, countries. I understand what you're saying, but these diplomatic channels, where are they? They don't seem to be working. Well, ma'am, that's because. Russia is not a good faith actor here, and it's very difficult to negotiate. With that's them. why we have to um, take I force with them. I, 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 we're getting we're getting another speaker up, ma'am, uh, who might be able to explain this, maybe in a way that um, uh, that, that that is better than what Ilsen and I have done thus far. Uh, Craig, if you want to touch on this, uh, please go ahead. Yeah, um, just some other... So, so just for a bit of context, Craig, you're you're an expert somewhat on these uh, on these sort of totalitarian autocratic systems, right? Yeah, a, a little bit. I study Nazi Germany, um, and like my work is primarily focused on the Nuremberg trials and stuff like that. Yes. 
And yeah, please, well, please go ahead. I just want to provide the context. So I I would agree with Osin and, and Domin that there are significant dangers about the United States engaging directly with Russia in a military operation. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I would agree with you that the ability that it is probably unlikely that Putin will ever face justice in The Hague. But like Domin said, that's what he said about Slobodan Milosevic and other war criminals. So one of the things to remember is that just because they don't play by the rules doesn't mean we get to not play by the way either. The entire thing is that Putin, uh, Putin, Xi Jinping, are, are, and then a few other actors in the world really dislike yeah. the international post-Cold War order that is backed by NATO, the United right. States, and the UN. And by, yep. re- by disregarding the rules and the way that that order functions, we're kind of more playing into their hands than we aren't. I, I also wanted to come up because uh, something that's to think about that I've been like playing around with in my head is I argue, I would argue that there's a, there is a significant amount of threat inflation in the U.S. about the danger that Russia poses to us geopolitically. I just want to put, yes. I want to put it this way. So, yes, it's Russia's and China's goal, um, and a few other, like Iran, sort of, maybe North Korea, but they don't really count, um, yeah. to separate, <laughs> to break apart NATO, because NATO is the, you could argue, the the military component of the liberal international order that kind of keeps these countries united. Yeah. Well, NATO is good. NATO is very good. But uh, this is what I'm, when I say there's a significant amount of threat inflation about the danger that Russia poses to us. I, let me put it this way. The entire defense spending. So if you added up the defense spending of every single NATO country and combined it into one thing, it's 1.1, 1.2. If you include the hundred billion that Germany just put in, trillion dollars mm-hmm. the entire yeah, people don't pay what they should yeah that, that's that's true some countries definitely don't some and some countries definitely do um but the entire the entire russian nominal gdp in 2021 so before the war started it's significantly lower now was 1.6 trillion so the entire nato the entire defense spending of the entire nato alliance combined is roughly three quarters of the entire economic output of the Russian Federation last year. Mm. So they spent $60 billion on defense. We spent eight, um, the United States spends 800 and what, 20 billion. So mm-hmm. if you, for example, the, if the United States defense spending was a country, it would be the 20th largest economy in the world. There are 119 or sorry, 119, 190 countries in the world that have smaller economies than the U S defense budget. Just, mm-hmm. just to give you an idea. So, yes, Russia is a problem. Russia is committing atrocities in Ukraine. The United States has done a great thing by, by passing Lend-Lease and has been uh, you know, unleashing the arsenal democracy for a second time. Hopefully, it will help pour support into Ukraine and just and mm-hmm. defeat Russia. But the idea of decapitating, first of all, it's not, it's not the United States policy to assassinate world leaders. It's kind of a bad look. It's kind of, it kind of leads to a big problem if, if we want to go around assassinating leaders of governments that we don't like. Um, <clears throat> sure, I would love to see him gone too, um, but it's it's not really in the cards. Mostly because it's a it's a violation it's a violation of the world order that the United States, NATO, and our island uh, represents. I'm, I'm afraid it's going to come though to become that way. I I feel like it's going to be. 
become a world order eventually because you we just can't keep i mean they've destroyed this country pretty much they've destroyed the ukraine and president Zelensky has just what an admirable man i'm so proud of him of what he was able to what he's able to do i'm surprised he's still alive that's amazing to me and he's still in that country and i guess the reason i'm just so bothered by it is because my family comes from there i mean None of them are alive now, but that's where my mother's side of the family comes from. And it just, and then just seeing what we see on the news, which is just news, you know, and I don't think it's fake news, all of it. Some, most of it is, is a bunch of, it's just people talking trash. But, you know, you see these young people that are in an underground hospital and they can't leave yet. And then their best friend dies and they're laying there waiting to get healed too. And it just, it tears me up. I can't, it's hard to take. I just feel like maybe Putin might come out one day in front of all of his guys and, and, you know, salute him and play the game that he does walks around in that suit with that stupid looking face. And I wish somebody could just shoot him in the mouth. And that would be, I mean, we would never know, you know, it would have to take that would be have to be so well planned, but I know we can't do that. I know it would start World War Three. I don't want to be in a war. I'm scared to death of war. I've never been. I mean, I've been alive during a war. I'm 69 years old. I've been alive during wars. Um, I protested the Vietnam War. You know, my dad was a war hero. Um, but it just, it just, I just, I don't, I don't know what the answer is. I've prayed about this. And I'm not like shoving religion or anything, but I've prayed about this, and I, and I just think there's got to be something else we can do. Just something else we can do. We have all these great minds in Washington. Well, not necessarily in the GOP, but in in Washington we have some great minds and and strategical people like yourself. You seem very smart. All of you guys seem very smart. I don't know half the stuff y'all are talking about. I understand the oil thing and all that kind of stuff. There is a lot of natural gas all over the world. We should tap into that. We should build contracts with those people. Build a pipeline from Australia. I don't know if that's possible. Build a pipeline from other places. There's other things we can do. I just I just think that we're just not using all of our our good people and all of our good senses to 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 take care of this nasty situation. That's just Thank you, ma'am. And I, I just want to say a, a, few, a few quick things. Um, all of us here, I think we share your disgust and your appointment at what Russia is doing in Ukraine. That That's first of all. Um, and we empathize, certainly I do, with your position. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we need to do something more. Absolutely. I completely agree. But we need to be at the same time tactful, like Austin outlined, like Craig outlined, as, as mm-hmm. exactly what we do. Um, what we're going to do is we have we have six people with their hands up. Uh, most of them I've heard speak before, and they are the smart people that you were referring to earlier. Uh, Craig, if you want to say one more thing, and then I'm going to go to Alex yeah. W, then Alex Gaftelli, and then on from that. I, I would I would first of all just say that I don't know if I'm smart. I just know a couple things about uh, some stuff. Um, that's that's that. But uh, I would say, look, one of the issues too is that. What we're seeing, you're right. We should, we could do more. There's also there are some very intelligent defense analysts who think that it's possible for us to call the nuclear bluff and directly intervene in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. It's a very risky prop. It's a very risky proposition because of 
Russian nuclear doctrine, if they are that if they're losing significantly, that it authorizes them to use tactical nuclear weapons, mm-hmm. which are lower yield and lower range than the world ending strategic nuclear weapons. Um, so there's that. There is, I, to be fair to you, there are there are people who are saying, hey, we should intervene um, because Putin won't use them because he knows if he uses them, that'll just ratchet everything up to the roof. Just, just to be just be like that. Um, yeah. The, the other thing too is that one of the, one of the reasons why this is there's two two other quick things. First thing is that one of the problems we're seeing too is that a lot of Western countries have been operating under a foreign policy model of that could be basically summarized as free markets, free minds. Mm-hmm. That through liberalization of international trade, the Western ideas of like democracy, freedom, capitalism will slowly worm their ways into uh, authoritarian governments and authoritarian uh, states like that. And we're seeing that it might work some places, but in other places, free trade with authoritarian just makes the authoritarians richer, more powerful. So that's yep. one of the concerns. Um, and the other thing is that, you know, it's not a direct battlefield thing. Uh, it will have effect, but the the scale of economic sanctions slash warfare, depending on how you want to put it, that the West has unleashed on Russia is uh, has never hasn't been is completely unseen, has never been seen mm-hmm. before, and right. is aimed at crippling the the russian economy in the russian industrial base so there is there is a lot of things happening and i'm sure there's the united states and nato are doing a lot more than they they say um i'm sure spooky boys are doing spooky things uh, <laughs> helping them out um yeah. but you know we, and to Domin's point we, we we know we're all here because we we agree with you we're all absolutely horrified at what's going on in ukraine we want ukraine to win we want to you know, support right. organizations yeah. like Mira Aid or other things that are giving them money, giving them non-lethal aid, lethal aid, intelligence mm-hmm. support, all sorts of things like that. Well, I, I appreciate Tom. you letting me speak. Um, it, you guys seem to be quite intelligent, and I enjoy listening to you. And I will continue to listen to you, and and would like to be part of your group. Um, it's very, very interesting what you have to say, and um, thank you for not making me feel foolish. But I just, I just feel so strongly about the the death and the destruction that is occurring. It it breaks my heart. It's just maybe because I'm older and I'm more sentimental or something. I don't know. I'm sure it bothers. I know it bothers you too. I know it bothers all of you. It we're like at a point where we, can, what do we do? What do we do? You know, we're like that. What do we do? And I'm. They're great minds. We have great minds in the United States. We have great minds in Europe that are good people and wonderful people. I love the people of Europe. I've been all over Europe and just been treated like a princess by those people. They're just so wonderful. They love Americans. Some people say they hate Americans. I've never found that. I've never found that they hate Americans. They, they've been wonderful, but thank you for letting me get it off my chest. I feel a little bit. Thank you very much, Billy. And uh, please hear out the gentlemen that are about to maybe give you some good ideas. And I will add your, uh, you know, to, to North America and Europe. I will add Australia to that list and pass it on to Alex W. Well, thank you so much. You were most kind. Thank you, sir. Have a great day. Thank you, okay. Billy. Have a great day. Don't, don't worry yourself too much about this. Everyone's got it all in hand, okay? So okay. Don't, don't, don't worry yourself too much. Everything oh. will... will it will get there in the end, and Ukraine will be Ukraine will win this war and be successful. Oh, I pray so. I pray so. Thank you, guys. You're wonderful. Um, before you take off, Billy, 
It, yeah. You might be interested to know that the number of flights into the staging point uh -huh. for um, the military aid to the Ukrainian armed forces uh -huh. has now reached, I think it's one an hour, 24 hours a day. Of us sending stuff. So, yeah. Of us then sending stuff to the Ukraine for them to be able to fight and regain their territory and to defend their, okay. their citizens. So who, who's um, going to help pay to fix it back up again? Um, we all are. Probably. We all are. Yeah. And, and all of our countries that are in alliance together will gladly do it because it will create wealth and jobs for us and it will create wealth and jobs for the Ukraine. Yeah. Yeah. And at the moment, they are fighting not just for their country and for their lives but for yes. our way of life and our exactly. our our vision of a rules-based order and that was what i was going to speak to briefly domin mentioned the rules-based order mm -hmm. um that's basically a system of laws and understandings that draws all of the countries across the world the us the uk australia india mm -hmm. indonesia all of the mm -hmm. countries you can imagine together yeah. because it creates a level playing field for all of us to understand what each country will do and to avoid the confusion that creates war and yeah. conflict. What Putin has done is kick a big hole in the window, basically, and that yeah. is, frankly, unforgivable. Um, the, the laws of international public law... That the wheels they they grind very slowly but very surely. Mm -hmm. um, the International Court of Justice has already ruled that the war, the war that um, Mr. Putin is perpetrating upon the Ukraine is mm -hmm. illegal, and that mm -hmm. that has ramifications for the peace. In that there's questions of reparations, and Russia will pay its part no doubt, in restoring Ukraine after the conflict. Um, and the International Criminal Court has already put um, one of its best prosecutors on the ground in Ukraine to support mm -hmm. that, to Good. support the um, investigation into war crimes in Ukraine. They don't generally do that, it's fair to yeah. say. Um, yeah. And it Dangerous. does... <laughs> well, unfortunately, these investigations do take a long time. They they're by then, you know, people try and conceal the evil things that they do. And so it does take a long time to investigate and bring people to justice because they hide. Um, uh, Radko, I think it was Mladic, Radko Mladic, one of the Bosnian Serb generals, was was hiding in a, in a shepherd's hut for a, I, yeah. for a number of years. But yeah. um, those prosecutions um, have only just wound up some 30 you know, 20, 30 years later. Um, but a lot of people, some of the names you would recognise from the news in the 90s, a lot of whom you wouldn't, right. they've all been, they've been prosecuted um, and, and dealt with accordingly. Yeah. So um, well. please, I, it takes a long time and I can't believe I'm defending the International Criminal Court or the International <laughs> Court of Justice. No, but you're, 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 it you're takes so It takes time you're, and they, no. they will eventually deal justice. So, Everybody has to, to those, at one point, right? Yeah. To those that they can reach, they will provide justice to. So, yeah. Um, and yeah. And, and that they don't reach, they have to live with themselves. Well, yeah. we, we, as you alluded to earlier, Betty, we all face our reckoning at one point or another. 
Exactly. Um, exactly. And and I can only just echo um, the the comments of um, of the other speakers. And um, you know, we we all find we all wrestle with this this. Um, it's a daily wrestle. This frustration, and yeah, you know, we wrestle. we all we all try and and do our our little bit. Um, and you know, it's it's hard, and I understand the frustration, and and especially when the news is is filled with the horrible things that have happened in Mariupol at the moment, yeah. and and it's right. certainly understandable. That well, what can I would, do um, as a human being? Do you have a congressperson? That, that do you have I a congressperson? Oh yeah. And well, Domin can explain very well. I just moved to Nebraska, but I live in a red state, and I'm I'm a Democrat, and uh, everybody around me are are Republicans. I'm. Ma'am, I can can may I answer your question. I would sure. be very happy to to answer the question to the best of my abilities. First of all, um, I would like to know that even though you live in a state that you don't necessarily agree with politically, right. uh, the last vote in the House I think was four hundred and seventeen to ten. Uh-huh. It is almost certain that your congressperson voted for massive expansion of, of military aid and humanitarian aid and reconstruction oh, yeah. aid I'm to sure Ukraine. Yeah. So because of that, let's just say that Ukraine and, and helping Ukraine isn't really a party political issue in the US. Mm-hmm. I think that the vast majority of politicians are well behind it because the vast majority of politicians, whatever you might think of them domestically, mm-hmm. this, is the, this is the time for cross-aisle work and for them to come together, and they have exactly. managed to come together. Exactly. There exactly. were a few dumbasses, sorry for the language, who haven't, but I'm they are offended. genuinely few. All right. So also, your congressperson, now that you've just moved to Nebraska, doesn't know whether you're a Democrat or a Republican when you write to them. The more people write to each of the, of the Congress people, especially if those letters are handwritten or typed and sent in regular mail, as opposed okay. to emails, or if you call them, the more messages they get, the more they're going to push for additionally expanding aid to Ukraine. I okay. would also like to note that the U.S. has massive stocks of weapons just sitting in armories that they never really want to use um, in, in war themselves again. Stuff uh-huh. that they've effectively retired and, retired and mothballed. A lot mm-hmm. of those things are still incredibly useful for Ukrainians. They're better than what they currently have. And mm-hmm. they are also, you know, they just need more stuff, right? Russian right. army has a lot of stuff. Ukrainians need more stuff to be able to better counter them. And for this top-down political will to exist in the U.S., and I'm especially stressing the U.S., not just because you're from the U.S., but just because the U.S. military has so much stuff in storage that they mm-hmm. don't want to use again anyway, right? Okay. Artillery shells, artillery systems, guns. Um, you know, armor personnel carriers, Humvees, exactly, all kinds of stuff. And the more people write to their congresspeople in the US, wherever those congresspeople might be from, thank you so much. The greater that bottom-up political will, the stronger the expression of the bottom-up political will will be, the stronger the motivation for top-down political, the the exercise of top-down political will in actually sending Ukraine more stuff. So that's the first thing you can do, ma'am. The second thing, and, and this is up to you, and this is up to your financial situation. Absolutely. Um, oh, we have money. we we have Maria aid uh, linked up above. If you tell you know your your friends, uh, maybe I'm guessing your your community, maybe your church group, wherever you might be. I'm just guessing church group because you because you brought it up earlier very briefly. Um, mm-hmm. Tell tell them about Maria aid. Maria aid is a fantastic organization. It's based in Canada, just north of the border. Uh, okay. They are run by several. Uh, 
current officers in the Canadian military. Uh, mm -hmm. One of the founders of it is a lieutenant colonel, is a lieutenant colonel, you'd say, in, in the US, in the Canadian military, who actually ran uh, Operation Unifier for, I think, a year. Uh, mm -hmm. Operation Unifier was the Canadian forces training mission for the mm -hmm. Ukrainian army. And uh, we've had Colonel Melanie Lake on several times, and she's a, not just a fantastic person, but also a fantastic Canadian Armed Forces officer, uh, an engineer, a sapper. And they are organizing these, you know, these difficult to organize logistical things of getting non-lethal aid to Ukraine and to Ukrainian troops. So everything from combat medicine to body armor to uh, thermal optics, lots of things that are actually difficult to export and you need export mm -hmm. permits to, to export, they uh -huh. deal with. And they, they send the sort of stuff um, that the Ukrainian ministries of defense and the Ukrainian ministries of health specifically require and need in greater quantities. Um, and they also operate with zero overhead, right? They're not some big old uh, mastodon oh, charity. Makes me, that makes me happy, yeah. So if you want to spread the word about them um, or, will, or help, help them directly, that would be fantastic. They're linked just up in the title of the space, Maria Aid. Uh, they're named uh, Maria is Ukraine is the Ukrainian word for a dream, uh, oh, and yeah. and and th that's that's why it has a, such a difficult to pronounce and, and strange looking name. Uh, mm -hmm. But but those are you know that is in practice what you can do. Now, Billy, to to answer one of your previous questions of you know what happens in Russia next, what happens if Putin is is taken out, I would like to turn to Alex Kavteli. Alex Kavteli is one of our regular contributors. He was born in the Soviet Union in the Republic of Georgia. Um, mm -hmm. And he has a fantastic understanding of both Russia. He lived in Moscow for a while as well. He has a fantastic understanding of Russia, as he likes to say, speaks Russian better than most Russians do. And <laughs> he's, a, he's a regular contributor here and really understands the situation really well. So if you'd like to listen to him, I, I think that might be really useful for you to, to learn a little bit more I about will. the situation there. Uh, Alex Kartelli, please go ahead. Thank you, Billy. Thank you, Thank so you man. You make me blush. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting why can't we take him down? I, I'm pretty sure that's where it's going to. It will take some time because even with bin Laden, it didn't happen overnight. But pretty much um, sending like troops to take him down uh, will give it just, it will end up in a nuclear exchange, mm -hmm. which people want to avoid. But what needs to be done is so uh, it looks like the world is creating circumstances where Russians will take him down by themselves because he gonna piss off every single one of them because they will lose a lot of money they will lose a lot of opportunities it's, it's basically how you treat the mafioso like somebody mm -hmm. who doesn't know how to behave like usually uh, his other compatriot mafiosos take him down. Mm -hmm. So, so on one. But before they take him down, and while he's still alive, he should see his uh, military machine being completely destroyed. Like uh, he should lovely? see it collapse while he's still alive. That because be it would be a shame if he dies before without seeing his so-called world. Yeah collapsing so that would be nice for him to see that that would be good and uh and uh, another thing uh if he is still alive to 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 his court okay. i think he, the reason it will take a while because there will be a long line of people willing to tell him a lot of things while he's still alive so that, yeah. that's how i think uh, this uh, this thing's gonna evolve 
And the best we can do is to help sending Ukrainians weapons because nobody is more motivated currently than Ukrainians yeah. to, to destroy his military machine and every single one um, who was sent there by Putin. I think can that's the best way me? to... Yeah, we I, hear you, Billy. Oh. No worries. Oh, okay. I was just thinking... Some gentleman said something that somebody worse would take over after Putin. You know the guy that he locked up, Putin locked up because he ran against him, who was, I think, a good guy? Yeah, Navalny, you mean. I there think. are hundreds and thousands of people locked up by Putin. They are right. also in the line. Like There are a lot of people wanting to take him down. But there right. is a line. We, we kind of need to respect But is there that. a good guy that could take over and, and wants to be part of the real world and, you know, and let's have some peace around. Let's like, you know, as corny as it sounds, I just feel like if everybody just loved each other, life would be a lot better, you know, and it's easy to love. It's hard to fight. All this fighting is very difficult to do, but people just, it, it's just so much energy. Why do they, I, it's power. I, I, I agree. I agree with you. And you know, uh, for peace to be, because if you look around, it's been one same bully uh, starting wars over and over again. Exactly. So the best way to achieve peace will be to disarm the bully so that he, like the worst uh, weapon he has in his arms is uh, a fork, yeah. uh, something to that end, um, and even when he is supervised. So... Yeah, it's um, w we are getting there, and the best we can do is give Ukrainians weapons. They will destroy his military machine like like a shredder. Oh, good. I hope I can see this in my lifetime. Thank you, Billy. Um, let's uh, and thank you, Costelli. Thank you very much, Costelli. Uh, Domen, I have uh, yeah. if I if I may add to something. Sure. I think go, it go is it, important. Costelli. Apparently, there was a conversation between Valuzny. And uh, U.S. General Milley, I'm not sure what, uh, like, other details were discussed, but apparently Valuzny mentioned that Ukrainian forces started counteroffensive in Izum and Kharkiv. And in Kharkiv, we've seen some movements already, but for Izum, that would be new development. Now, uh, as, as a reminder, counteroffensive seems uh, to be more significant than a counterattack. Counterattack is something... You know, like short-term counteroffensive is almost like changing strategy. So, um, so there may be, and it could be in in exchange that in response to, they were probably discussing whether or not they have already received these uh, um, long-range howitzers. Mm -hmm. So yeah, let, let, let's hope that the ad that is flowing in has already started working and um, it gives uh, Ukrainians an ability to bring even more damage to Russian troops. Yes, good, good. Thank, thank well, you, I'm going to write my congressman today and then I'm calling him today. I'm going to call and write him. Thank you, Billy. That's literally the best thing you can do. Your congressman, do, your senator, I can do it every day. as well. I can do it every day. I'm retired. And you have two senators, if I remember correctly. So that's yeah. uh, you know two more addresses for you to yeah. uh, to to, yeah, to write also, to. I, got it. I have it all on my phone. I got it all on my phone. Love it. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Thank you so much, fellows. You guys are great.
All right. Thank you, Billy. Um, I think we're going to move on to some uh, slightly more military topics, if that's all right by everyone. Um, as as uh, Alex Kaftelli just noted, there is there seems to be a major thing going on in both uh, Kharkiv and Izum. Uh, and Osint is looking into it as we speak. Uh, let's go to let's clear the hands. Let's go to bloke to bloke uh, Mikhail and Christian first. Uh, bloke, go ahead with whatever you have. Yeah, I just wanted to finish up the, the last conversation by saying that um, um, it's very important to supply Ukraine with weapons rather than intervene directly. First of all, because the Ukrainians, that's what they've asked for. They've asked, we'll do the job, just give us the means. Um, so that's really important. And the reason that's so important is because um, if NATO intervened, it would just play right into Putin's hands because it would give him an out. It would uh, allow him to claim that it's all the NATO's fault. It's all the big bad West's fault. Whereas right now he's losing in Ukraine and he has no excuse. He is losing militarily, strategically, economically, and he has no one to blame it on but himself. He screwed up every assumption he made, every assumption about NATO, every assumption about uh, his military capabilities. And um, it, it's important that he be humiliated on the battle, uh, the battlefield in Ukraine, um, because that is what will finally get him out of power. The humiliation he has visited upon the Russian people, and deservedly so. And last thing I wanted to point out is that there's been a lot of provocations lately. There's been a helicopter that went three kilometers into Finland. There's been, you know, a couple of provocative um, uh, flights. These are usually deconflicted in the usual way. But the, 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 I interpret it a bit differently. Some people interpret it as an intimidation tactic. He can't intimidate NATO. We, we kick his ass. So I believe that this is a, a baiting exercise to try to get NATO involved because then he could blame his utter failure on someone else. And right now it's important to hold him accountable and responsible for his, and I'm trying to remain polite, his mess-ups in, in, in strategy. Um, and that's why we shouldn't intervene right now. And uh, that's where I'll leave it, and I'll drop down the listener. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Bloke. Uh, let's go to Mikhail. Yeah, hello. I uh, I was thinking about the, the bridge that uh, the Russian built, died, the illegal bridge and they built um, in the Crimea. And I... Uh, I'm not in a military expert, but do you, do you guys think it's possible for the Ukrainians to to destroy that bridge, really? Um, Mikhail, so, would you mind letting me know where you're from? I'm just curious, because I can't quite place your accent, and that's just personal curiosity. Oh, Sweden. Sweden. Yeah, I, I thought so, but I, could, I, I wasn't 100% <laughs> sure. Thanks, thanks okay. Mikhail. Um, MP, uh, you're, you're somewhat more uh, uh, into this. Do you, do you want to comment on this, maybe? Uh, sorry, Norman. I, I missed. I'm really missed the whole set because I was speaking with other people here so locally. Uh, so can you? M- Mikhail was asking if uh, if Ukraine has the capacity to hit the Kerch bridge between Crimea and Russia, and if that would be helpful. Oh yeah, we have been discussing that many times, and I think so. Tosca has like maximum range of 100 kilometers, right? And uh, right now, no, they need to get closer. Uh, no, 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 that's, a, that's an issue. 
but you know it will come the day because my, my question really Dominic, was about uh, i'm reading the twitter right now that there is counter offensive going on you know from the ukrainian side east of kharkiv and i'm a little bit reflecting what i heard from roman from 93rd mechanized brigade and he said you know isium will be next and etc he said you know they have a little bit difficulty so have you have anybody heard about about this counter offensive what's going on now this is only i'm reading from the yeah you're you're right so i think all we have for now are these reports that kafteli mentioned from uh telegram from from valeri zalushny the commander-in-chief of the uh, ZSU, uh, Zbrojne Sile Ukrainian Armed Forces, uh, Ukrainian Armed Forces. Um, and I think OSINT is looking more deeply into that as we speak to try to figure out what's actually going on, if anything is actually going on. So um, if you stick about for a little bit, I think we're going to shift to that very soon indeed. And, and one, more, one more thing, Dom, and you know, now, uh, sorry, I couldn't yesterday speak. And, uh, one no worries. Thing, I just, just want to say it really quickly. And Roman mentioned the strength of his brigade. It was I, I, I don't want to say the day when he mentioned it, but please don't go in that numbers. Please tell him not, not to mention that kind of thing. Yeah, that sounds sounds good. Uh, next time he's about, I'll make sure to, to let him know. Or rather, I'll tell him through Walter because I don't think I can message him myself. Uh, but yeah, that's a really good point. Michael, just to close out on the Kurdish bridge, uh, like MP said, and as you can hear from his accent, undoubtedly he's your neighbor from across the Gulf of Bothnia. Um, it is very difficult for Ukrainians to go and strike that bridge. Uh, that bridge is something almost like 250 kilometers away, something like that from the closest Ukrainian front line. And Ukrainians simply, to our knowledge, to publicly available knowledge, do not have any capacity to strike something that far away. Uh, the Tochka U ballistic missiles are, to our knowledge, the longest range thing they have, and that, that's about 100, 120 kilometers range at its absolute maximum. Uh, it's also very far from any... Uh, coastline that Ukraine controls uh, because basically all of the surroundings of the Sea of Azov are under Russian control currently, as is all of Crimea, as is obviously all of the Northern Caucasus, the latter actually being a legal part of Russia. As a consequence, it would be very difficult to launch any sort of you know special forces operation on some Zodiacs or, or other craft uh, to, to go and take out that bridge as well. Now, would it be good to take out that bridge? Absolutely. There has been a little bit of speculation that uh, Ukrainians might be able to do it if they are shipped those M270 multiple uh, launch rocket systems. Um, because they can be loaded with some longer range stuff as well that has a range of about 300 kilometers. Maybe then, but until then... It's very difficult. And also, as you might note from the bridge at Zatoka, uh, the Ukrainian bridge that connects the bulk of Odessa Oblast with southern Bessarabia in the far west and southwest of Odessa Oblast, um, I think Russians have launched three cruise missiles at it now, and there's a hole in the bridge, but the bridge is fundamentally still standing and could be repaired relatively easily still. So just from that perspective, bridges aren't necessarily that easy to take down if you don't have uh, you know, very substantial ability to 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 destroy them and ideally properly mine them in a sapper type operation, or a, you know, put some charges at the bottom of the pillars and and get rid of it that way. So from that perspective, it's difficult. Is basically what we're getting at. Um, MP, stick around because I have some finished questions for you in a second. Uh, let's go to uh, Christian. Christian, go ahead, and then Jinju. Uh, hello. Uh, I was wondering about uh, the all the fires and all the accidents and almost attacks that seems to be happening around Russia. Do you think that's partisan attack? Do you think that's uh, Ukrainian attacks? What are you making uh, making of this? Like, 
in the media, it seems like it's just random fires, but it seems like it's strategic, like fire depots and uh, things that like are important for like continuing the war effort. But what are you making of these attacks all over Western Russia now in the homeland? So, Kafteli, I hope you heard this because I'll, I'll pass it on to you in a second because you're better uh, plugged into you know, Russia stuff. Uh, but I would note that either Russians are being particularly careless with where they throw their lit cigarettes lately, or there's something bigger behind this, right? And I would speculate that at least some of it is Russian partisan attacks. It took them a while to get going. Belarusians were up within a few days of the start of the invasion, already late February, early March. Uh, Russians just took a while to figure stuff out and, and get going. But specifically, I think somebody in, I think it was in St. Petersburg, uh, somebody specifically noted that the Russian Legion, uh, under the flag of Novgorod, the blue, uh, sorry, the white, blue, white, isn't just fighting in Ukraine. Uh, there are also a, a small but dedicated number in Russia proper. Uh, but Kafteli, if you want to comment on this, uh, you might be good to do so. Yeah, I think this war galvanized a lot of stuff. Uh, as you may know, Putin locked, um, indeed, there are thousands of people locked up in Russia. I uh, some of them are known, some of them less known. They could lock up people for simply saying, for simple pacific, pacifist slogan. Uh, there are a lot of people pissed off. And uh, there is a Ukrainian war, uh, invasion into, into Ukraine uh, galvanized um, a lot of that um, in Russia were holding it um, for way too long. Now, some of them are stepping up. Um, they even started forming Russian legion. Now, obviously, the, you can consider that as very light infantry. But some of them want to join the Russian legion even without coming into Ukraine. Uh, they claim they will be making all these events happen in Russia like burning down commissariats, um, damaging Russian infrastructure otherwise. Um, a lot of them uh, report their activities by, you know, they are using this graffiti L, uh, letter L, Latin letter L, which stands for um, Legion Freedom to Russia. So... Uh, again, it's hard to tell who exactly is doing that. But if you think about it, like if you openly go on on a square and say no to war in Ukraine, you may be locked up. But if nobody, but you can damage, like indeed, you know, like smoke in a place where you are not supposed to, and then throw the butts. Um, where you shouldn't be throwing and cause the fire. Well, guess what? You can you can continue doing that until somebody figures out it was you. So at the same time, you can kind of support as uh, completely anonymously. So basically, I I think it's um, we'll see more of that type of movement because uh, Putin indeed pissed off a lot of people. There are a lot of people just holding up, but you know, is the fact that somebody speaks up and does something does galvanize the the activity of others. So 
again, militarily, I don't know and I don't think they will do like we'll see any time in near future, like two million Russians fighting against Putin's army. But um, a lot of them are dissipated across all Russia and we'll see. Uh, I expect this sabotage act to be happening in Russia now. Uh, is this Ukrainians who are doing it? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it's Russians who are opposing the regime. Um, and that's their way to do it, to contribute. Like, um, yeah, there are people living in Russia who want to contribute. Now, they don't have a lot of money to send to Ukraine. Uh, they have so-called senators to whom they can write, but I think it's useless because those senators are uh, Putin's trolls. They're utterly useless uh, addendum to Russian system of governance um, and to so-called legislation. Um, but yeah, that's their way to contribute to, to the victory um, of freedom, like... Okay, yeah, that was my comment. Thank you. Thank you, Kafteli. Uh, Christian, um, if you want to follow up, feel free. Uh, yeah, I was. Uh, I really liked that. Um, uh, his answer. Uh, the war is necessarily going in in Ukraine's favor. So, how do you, uh, do people look upon the war ending? Like. Do, you, do we see like Ukraine actually pushing into Belarus or actually, as I see it, they would probably take back the whole of Crimea and uh, like, of course, the Ukrainian. But when do we see this war is over? How, do, how does it end? I can't like really see an end to it. I feel like that's the hard part. Now, now it's obvious that Ukraine is going to win by like taking so much, much casualties by the Russian side and not necessarily achieving any strategic object, objectives. So, yeah, if that's... That was a bad uh, question, but how do you see the war ending? Thank you. And I will go, go back to listen. Thank you, Christian. Um, how the war's going to end? Well, hopefully with lots and lots of equipment going to Ukrainian troops that, that will enable them to push the Russians out, right? Um, it's really difficult to try to negotiate with them right now because clearly they're not negotiating in good faith, the Russians specifically. And um, you, can't, you can't really you know, force them to negotiations otherwise than, you know, to negotiate in good faith, otherwise than to first defeat them soundly militarily. Um, all right, let's go to Alexandra. Alexandra, go ahead. Hey guys, can you hear me? Loud and clear, Alexandra. Great. Uh, That's my first time doing this uh, speaking thing. Um, so... Yeah, my question was um, about, uh, like, rockets and the Patriot system. So Patriot is defensive. I was just reading an article just a minute ago. It's like, oh, it takes a long time to learn the system. It has to be manned by uh, Americans. So, therefore, uh, we can't supply it. And um, But I kind of hear that story a lot. Like, I listen to Aristovich a lot, and he keeps saying that, like, you know, whatever gets sent over that they say that takes a long time to learn, like the Ukrainians, they learn it real quick, much faster than than it supposedly theoretically takes to learn it, um, the system. So like, so the Patriot system is one. And then also um, on the attacking side, 
uh, someone mentioned the bridge, another person before mentioned what more can we do? So like, why not supply something that can fly further than the .u or whatever it is, whatever is needed to, for example, to take it out of the bridge or any other long distance target? Like, you know, is it also because they have to be, is it like, are they in the same category as the, uh, the Patriot system that has to be manned by a bunch of people who have to be trained for half a year and therefore we don't want to supply them with those rockets? Like, or is it something else? Is it something like, polit- is it, there some other, like, we just like scared of like attacking targets that are that far away, but I'm not sure that's it because there's already fires being set off. There's, there's targets being attacked on the Russian side. Um, so, I'm just trying to figure out why, like, we're not seeing um, some longer-range rockets being uh, supplied. Thank you. All right, we're trying to get CJ up, uh, who <laughs> knows things about uh, what you've you've just been asking about. Uh, CJ, if you can hear me, you're connecting for an awfully long time. Please disconnect and reconnect again, uh, so I can bring you up. I think there's a glitch on your side. Uh, so, Alexander, we're going to park your question for just a second because I know that CJ is trying to get up. Uh, and until he gets up, well, there's no point in me trying to answer it when he can. All right, let's try to get CJ up again. CJ, if this doesn't work, uh, leave the space, clear the cache, reconnect again. Uh, and Oh, it worked. CJ, go ahead. Yeah, so, hey, I'm, I'm CJ. I'm a U.S. Army artillery and uh, fires officer, so I know a little bit about air defense as well. Not my main area of expertise. But, you know, it's uh, when you're talking about the Patriot missile system, you know, the U.S. has invested billions and billions of dollars in the system. And if you look at the actual cost for how much it costs to employ it, you'll kind of see why we don't just give it away. And it's not because we don't want to support the Ukrainians, but the whole system is for a battery is something in the, in the range of one hundred and fifty million dollars. So the reality is, you know, the Stinger systems are only five to ten thousand dollars each and other things are a lot cheaper. So it's a lot more cost effective to give out, uh, you know, sort of quantity over quality. Again, you know, for the Patriot systems, sorry, still waking up here. We only have actually not that many across Europe and, and because they're sort of covering a large range. So if you give one or two to Ukraine, that's great. But the second they're destroyed now, they're left sort of defenseless. Whereas if you give smaller systems like the British Starstreak and SAM and those things, you know, if a couple go down, you can still have an effective air defense ring without having just lost, you know, almost a quarter of a billion dollars worth of an investment, if, if that makes sense. It makes, it makes sense. Um, <laughs> uh, and, then, and then for the other part of my question, um, for the, uh, on the attacking side, um, what's happening there? And why, actually, why is stuff not happening? <laughs> I was connecting while you were asking. Are you referring to the, uh, the two new counteroffensives that uh, Ukraine just announced? Um, just in general, I'm actually not too familiar with the, with which rockets are available for the counteroffensive, but rockets, my question is about rockets specifically on the attacking side, you know, Russia's sending rockets in all the time, but I don't really hear any news about, um, Ukrainians having rocket capability. Uh, the only one I think I heard about is like, supposedly they have Tochka U, uh, but I don't know how, how many of those they have. And those are relatively short range to some of the stuff that, you know, that's available. So What's available on the attacking side? For example, to take out targets like the bridge, um, you know, in Crimea and where other targets. Got it. Yeah. So just keep in mind, there's a, not many people know, but there's a difference between like a rocket and a missile, right? Rockets can be guided, but for the most part, they're unguided. So when you see MRL or things like uh, BM-21 grad rocket trucks, you know, that you're trying to fire a large quality or quantity of rockets at a large area. But we're referring to the Tachka U, which is a, a missile. And so the guidance systems can either be GPS guided, which Russia has the ability to disrupt. And so 
even if you know Russia puts up a electro- electronic warfare ring of GPS jamming and that throws it off even just 20 meters, you know, 30 meters, 100 feet, that thing is completely useless. And Ukraine doesn't have a lot of those. The other option is to laze it in with an aircraft or drone overhead. But, you know, that's obviously very difficult. A TB2 can do that. You know, there's some Ukrainian planes that can do that. But there's so many different things that have to go right. And again, it's such a huge investment that Ukraine doesn't see it as um, a worthy target yet. However, that could change. And that's why if you see bridges blowing up, most of the time Ukraine is using Ukrainian special operations forces because, you know, that is a lot harder to stop. And also it's a much higher rate of effectiveness. And again, sort of all warfare is based on the, the monetary value you put in. It's just, you know, 10 guys with, you know, about $1,000 of explosive to get the same thing that millions and millions of dollars of aircraft would accomplish, if that makes sense. Okay. Uh, but wouldn't, okay, but what about like high value targets? Like, like right, like, is it cost effective, for example, to take out the bridge in Crimea? Like, is it a high value target that's worth a rocket? So that's... Uh, <laughs> The thing is with the chance of success, so though even like Ukraine's best missiles and rockets, they have what's called a probable error of up to 10 meters, which is pretty precise. However, in a bridge that can take millions and millions of pounds, again, you're thinking you have to kind of think like about physics, right? Those bridges are weighted and can hold um, a lot of force going downward, and that's how most missiles strike. So really, a missile isn't necessarily the best of what we call a weaponeering solution in the fires realm to, to actually take it out, despite the fact it's high value. Because it, you'd have to fire, just like with the Moskva and all these other things, you'd have to fire 20 or 30. And that would basically deplete most of Ukrainians' um, missile inventory just for the bridge. And it might not even work. So I'd rather use those targets for things like command posts, like you've seen uh, Russian generals with possibly the help of American intelligence take out. You know, those you could fire and uh, you're going to have much more likelihood to get something for your, you know, bang for your buck as opposed to a bridge, which is very, very difficult to take out. I got it. Thanks for answering. Thank you very much, CJ. Uh, this is really good to to have you uh, to have you on this, um, MP. If you want to add something to this specifically yeah. before we go to Alex Vishnerovsky, exactly. And thanks, thanks, Dominic, for that. So I just wanna, you know, add for this. And to be honest, what's going on right now? How we are supplying Ukraine? When you say, you know, we are supplying one billion, ten billion, thirty billion, we are giving uh, weapons what we have in stock. We are not giving weapons what we have in active use. You know, of course, we can we can take the javelins and laws into active use, but these are basically kind of secondary weapons for the for the you know for the reserves and you know if 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 the time comes and and I think so Axel and and, and Domen and many many others here has been pushing that we need to give the tier one equipment now, you know, tanks, missile systems, anti-aircraft systems like you mentioned. We need to give them now and and aircrafts. And even naval assets. So we are just giving stuff, you know, which are already purchased and they will go old, you know, they are stocks and, you know, we just deliver those. And the idea here is to kind of create awareness and, and, and Ukraine needs everything, you know, tier one weapons in active use should be used now actually in Ukraine because then it prevents that we don't need to use them in other way. So thank you. Yeah, exactly. And that that's a really good point as well. Um giving Ukraine especially all the stuff that we that we can get, right? It's um it's it's really useful in that respect. CJ, while you're here, I have a quick question for you that I just got in DMs. Um and the question is when is Biden expected to sign the Lend Lease Act into law? 
Uh, how quickly will that happen? How quickly after that will uh, military aid be able to actually flow to Ukraine? Uh, and is the president's request for the 33 billion package part of this act? So as far as I understand it, and I'm no political expert, I'm just a lowly army officer. You know, the, the thing to keep in mind with the lend lease is it's separate from the, the direct military aid. And when you see those, uh, you know, the high numbers and everything, it's it's sort of related to the money of uh, with the systems given. Right. So it's not just like they're, you know, we're giving Ukraine cash. We're giving the the weapons that they need to continue this fight. As far as how long it's going to take, since it was pretty much what we said, like rubber stamped by Congress, I have to imagine it's pretty quick. And especially uh, with the American political turmoil go on, the fact that the, that was passed so almost, you know, unanimously is, is probably a good sign that Biden will sign it quickly to, to maintain the support before, you know, the American system kind of fights inward a bit. But uh, the good news is, for the most part, American politicians are united on the Ukraine front, which is uh, really good to see for someone that's been, you know, following this for eight years. Thanks, EJ. To my understanding, he already had possibly done it, actually, because he kind of requested it, right? Yeah, and so yeah, exactly, and because you know the military aid has been flowing pretty. You look at any of the flight trackers or talk to you know at, at, you know people in Europe, Poland, etc. You you sort of seen how much it's increased in the last couple of weeks. But I think it, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong. I think out of that thirty billion, about half was directly apportioned for military aid, and the other half more more than two thirds, or, or just under two thirds, something like that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, great. So there's still you know that's uh you know twenty billion. I think Ukraine's defense budget before the war was five billion. So overall, we've given, I think, about $30 billion in, in military aid. So we've times it by six. I think Russia's military budget before the war was somewhere between 40 and $60 billion. So right now, basically, Ukraine is outspending the Russians at their own game, uh, which is a great sign that they can keep this up for a long time. CJ, can I ask you a quick question while we've got you? Go for it. So the UK announced um, counter-artillery radars, battery radars every day. Um, have you worked with the RFR before? The British bit of kit. Um, yeah, so I think so. I think uh, the radars are again. This is a little bit outside of my realm, but I think they're also made by Bofors and a BAE, which is obviously you know a British company, but also they have um, production facilities in Mississippi and Arkansas. So it's kind of like a joint U.S. British venture, and that's why you know almost all of NATO uses these systems because they're interoperable, and so that pairs very nicely with all the NATO artillery. It means these systems are going to uh, talk faster to each other and be able to respond quicker. And when you're in a counterfire fight, meaning when you have a lot of artillery shooting at each other, seconds are going to matter for who can get rounds off first at the enemy artillery. And really, it doesn't matter who has more artillery in that fight. It matters who has the better artillery and who can shoot quicker. 